Welcome to the Realizing Genius Podcast. I'm your host, Heidi Christensen. This is where we dive in each week to chat about parenting, education, and realizing our children's genius. I'm an educator with a background in individualizing learning, and I'm obsessed with helping people find and nurture that genius in their children and themselves. Let's dive in. Hi, geniuses. Today, I have Kathy Mulor with us. Kathy, thank you for being here. It's my pleasure. I'm so glad to have the opportunity. Yes, and I know Kathy because we both work with the Leadership Education Mentoring Institute, and uh, that's how I met you. And then you, um, I had you mentor me for years, which you know, it's just such an impact in my life. And you've also mentored my kids. Um, and you have your business is unleashing your voice. I'd really like to talk about that. Unleash, unleashing a child's voice. I thought, oh my gosh, that's so important. Absolutely. And so often we inadvertently do the opposite, right? Yeah. Stifling, stifling their voices. Yeah. Well, I'm all about helping kids and, and adults realize their genius and realize what I mean by that is they need to be able to take that innate genius in them and share it with the world. That sharing is that realization. So why is their voice important in that realization process? Well, I think our, our missions are, are pretty similar. I mean, mine is to, is to help people realize that they have a message that the world needs to hear yeah. and have the skills and the confidence to share it. You know, so that's very similar, right? Um, it's it's a it's a journey for people to find out that they have a message that's unique to them, or that they or that they can bring something that's you know already known or out there um, to people in a new way. And so, you know, it's it's important because these are the kinds of things that bring meaning to our lives. You know, we can be you know, a drone in the hive of humanity, right? And just be doing our our bee work every day, you know, getting the pollen and the nectar and making the honey and all that. Like we can do that, um, but it, it doesn't tend to bring a lot of meaning. And so our unique message does. Yeah, yeah. So many adults, though, they have a genius, but they can't talk about it. I mean, I know I was afraid to speak when my mother would go to parent-teacher conferences. You know, they would say, oh, Heidi is a joy to ha have in class, but she never talks. Oh, wow. And I mean, I had to learn how to talk. I mean, now you can't get me to shut up, but <laughs> um, but that being able to talk, being able to share, um, I think is, is so important. If, if a child doesn't have a voice to share that genius, um, what are some ways to help them get out? Because I've had students that it's like their biggest fear is to be in front of people. Yeah. Well, I, 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 I that is the biggest fear. Public, yeah. public speaking is the biggest fear. And I think, have you seen snakes? I mean, come on. Like, yeah. <laughs> But it, you know, it is, and I think, 
I, I have a theory about this, if you don't mind me diverting just a little bit to why mm -hmm. people are so afraid to do public speaking. Um, psychologists break up fears into two main groups. One of them is, is the fear of death. And the other is the fear of like um, being exiled, you know, being rejected. Um, exile used to be in the ancient world was the worst punishment. It was worse, worse than death to be exiled. Okay, so we, we don't want to be rejected and we don't want to die. And public speaking combines those. We feel like, you know, we have this physiological response, you know, to public speaking, at least, you know, in the beginning, or if we've had trauma or whatever. Um, and so we kind of have this, like, I could have a heart attack and die feeling, and I'm going to be rejected by the people who listen to me. So one of the biggest things I tell people is, your message is a gift. You are giving your audience a gift. And when you have that attitude, it's just different than I'm being judged and measured and not good enough, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I know it wasn't until I started talking about things that really mattered to me that I was able to even talk. Wow. That's powerful. Yeah. But I've had kids in my community, we, we offered a, a debate and public speaking class. And we had this one boy this one year who literally hid underneath the chair for weeks before he would actually get up and just, you know, really say his name. It was yeah. just debilitating, debilitating for him to the, even, even the thought. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's where you're talking phobia, right? Like that's where we're getting into, you know, beyond kind of the normal range, but phobias are, are not treated by running away from them. So I'm just going to tell you a quick story. I do public speaking and debate workshops. I go into a community and I teach the youth while the adults watch, and then they can kind of see what it looks like to be a coach, right? And learn the content. So that's happening. And then and then the next day I work with the adults. Anyway, so in this one seminar, there was a young woman who was probably 15-ish who came and she couldn't even come in the room, okay? So the morning of the event, you know, her parents paid for this and, and she watched us through a glass door. And I thought, I'm going to have to give them their money back. I cannot even take money for somebody like watching this through the door. You know what I mean? Anyway, um, then in the afternoon, we were doing debate and she came in and she participated. And I still said to her, her mom, you know, look, I, I'll, I'll happily give you your money back. I don't feel like she got the full experience and this just seems wrong, you know? And she said, oh no. This was so good for her. Then she came two more times <laughs> and what, and became like, you know, she believed in her voice after enough experience. Does that make sense? So she was, yeah. she was kind of in this sort of like phobic range and they do treat phobias through, you know, slowly getting you used to something, um, you know, first thinking about it, then maybe seeing pictures of it, then, you know what I mean? That's, that's how they treat them. So anyway, it sounds like your, your student needed to 
uh, you know, gradually work his way there. Did it turn out okay? Yeah, he ended up, um, I don't think it was that year, but the next year he was able to play a fairly big part in our Shakespeare play. Oh, sweet. Okay. Yeah, I know. It was transformational for him to be able to learn how to share his voice. Um, What if, I, I know there's so many parents though that are, you know, they're like, okay, my kid, you know, yeah, this might be important, but it's so scary for me. And they may not have the opportunity to actually, you know, do this either. You know. Yeah. Um, and I would say that that's most parents. Yeah. And really, I didn't, I didn't start out going, I think I'm going to start a company and teach seminars about public speaking because I had learned in high school, I'd been on a speech and debate team and I, I loved it. I mean, I failed a lot. I mean, a lot, but I don't know. It was like exhilarating for me or something. Anyway, so I thought like everybody can do this. Well, no, not everybody can do it and not everybody wants to do it. And and not everybody, um, you know, is willing to do the personal work it takes to overcome whatever it is that's holding you back. Anyway, so that's how Unleashing Your Voice started was I was asked to teach how to teach public speaking and you know kind of developed the seminar as a result but anyway um even without you know going to a two-day seminar there are there are things you could do um as the parent to feel more confident and also to set an example for your your kids and you know if you need to start small where it's you know you giving a speech to your dog then start there you know what i mean but you can, you know, have a, you know, speech night, an impromptu speech night in your family, you know, where you put some topics in a bowl and, and pull them out and, and give a speech. You know what I mean? Like you could just make, make you can start really small and, you know, you and I just, just talked about how everybody has a genius, how everybody has a message and, helping you know finding your own message um and then looking for audiences to share it with is another way to develop this you know yeah one of the things that you said there is that you failed a lot oh i did that i mean and that goes back to the one of those fears that that fear of rejection that you're talking about as parents, we try and protect our kids from failure, which I mean, is a, a lot of us do. <laughs> it's a huge mistake. Yeah. It yeah. makes them less capable. It makes them disempowered. You know, they do, yeah. they do have to fail. Um, and, you know, there've been times when, you know, I've even purposefully set up an experience for failure to happen, you know, to teach a lesson that they needed. Yeah. Yeah. But all of us came from, or at least most of us, I'm finding more and more adults were homeschooled and, you know, which is just awesome. Fabulous. But most of us, even in the homeschool environment, we were, you know, failure is bad, you know, oh, you failed your test. You know, what are we going to do about this? You have to be punished with a F. And, you know, so how do we change that mentality for 
ourselves so that we can share it with our kids to embrace that failure. Cause I agree. Failure is learning, but that's not how society not sees it. Way. It's not a pleasant way to learn. Yeah. Like nobody enjoys it. Right. <laughs> so I'm not going to be able to go, Hey, you know, here's the three steps to make failure fun. <laughs> Let's make failure fun. Cause nobody enjoys, enjoys failing. Um, but one of the biggest tools that you can have in your, you know, kind of toolbox here, if you will, is the ability to debrief after, well, any experience, but specifically after a failure and help, um, help your kids to learn from it and see it in its proper perspective. Um, I'm going to say that as a parent, we tend to take on our children's failures on ourselves you know, yeah. we tend to like get that cringe. You know what I'm saying? Especially mm -hmm. like if it's in a public forum where you just kind of want to die on behalf of your child, you know what I'm saying? Where they're, you see them in a, in, you know, a class or whatever, and they are actually failing. Um, so there it's, it's helpful to create almost like a clinical aloofness to step back and say, you know, this failure is, is good for him. You know, he's going to learn a lesson that he couldn't learn any other way. My job is to facilitate that learning and not have it become this, you know, um, impotent. Well, to not have it become like a barrier to the next thing. Okay. So if I fail giving a speech, which I got some good stories, by the way. Um, if I fail giving a speech and I don't work through why, work through how not to have it do happen again, then yes, it becomes a barrier to me giving the next one, right? So the same thing is true in any area of your life where, you know, this is a lesson, this failure thing is a lesson beyond public speaking, but that's kind of what we're talking about today. So that's why I brought it back to that. But um, they're not going to get better if they don't try. And they're not going to try without some failure. I mean, it's it's fact. In my seminars, I say, this is the place to fall on your face. You know, this is the time where messing up the speech is, is perfectly okay because we're here to learn. And then I help them learn the lesson. Well, the reason why you had this experience is because you know, let's talk about why that happened. You know what I'm saying? Where we kind of debrief the, the uh, experience and especially turn it over to them to find the whys and the lessons to be learned. Yeah. Yeah, no, I totally agree on that. Um, I know I've had experiences with my boys where well, first of all, I did take it. I mean, it was, oh, oh my gosh. You just saying that it just brought back a flood of memories of, of those what types of things. Symbiotic pain, you know? Oh, oh yes. Yes. <laughs> and yeah. And you never, you know, you never want that, but I've also from those, I've been able to grow. And, and I remember one of my sons, he was going through something that was really hard and if I didn't talk to him about it it could negatively impact 
the rest of his life in a huge way. Right. And it was a real struggle not to take it on as something I was doing wrong or, you know, I was feeling as a parent or, oh my gosh, you know, having that, that huge issue, um, but be able to, you know, have that clinical distance and just like, okay, what are we going to do to help solve this problem? And um, why do you think we need to solve this problem? And, and, you know, I'm just going to mention that, that when, when we don't do that, when we are like writhing in pain with them, then it just um, further, you know, retards their growth because they see it as like justifiable that they are a victim, you know, does that make sense? Like, yeah, we really have to be the stronger one, kind of be the adult in the room, right? Be the one to say, you know, look, that was hard, but let's talk about it. Let's not sweep it under the rug. Let's, let's move forward. Yeah. Yeah. And being the example too, it allows them to say, okay, oh, this is how mom or dad dealt with this, you know, big problem. I can do that next time. And when you're walking it, walking through it with them, you know, it, it's just modeling it for them. Absolutely. Yeah. I know I tell people, you know, you definitely want your kid to fail when they're, you know, at home with you and you can help support them and, and guide them through it rather than, you know, waiting until they're 40 because they will fail. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. They have to learn to get back up, you know? Yeah. 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 Now I had a discussion with a, a, a father one time and he was like, you just want to, you know, I just, I can't let her just go out and fail. And I'm like, why not? Yeah. And that was so foreign, foreign to him. He just, uh, that's what I'm here to protect her from is protect her from failure. And yeah. Yeah. Yeah, We do a disservice for sure. Um, In the book, the coddling of the American mind, they talk about a a term called safetyism and I mean, I know we're kind of, you know, a field of the public speaking thing here, but it it relates because it it breaks down the ways in which we've created this, you know, safe space mentality and failure is, you know, failure and the fact that people will have differing opinions. Like we have, we become, we become um, stronger when we are are put in in situations when we allow ourselves to be in situations that that test us and we are weaker when we when we don't so we have a i I mean i i would say we have a moral obligation to create you know not too much danger in their life obviously but some some uh times in which they're you know going to fail when they're going to um you know have a struggle yeah now Part of what you do is is help teach debate and in society today debate is discouraged it's so true so in fact i mean basically if you disagree with someone you could be canceled i mean it's 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 really a hard way to it's it's really hard to, for me to see yeah. um and that example for our kids it's like oh my gosh I'm afraid to say anything yeah 
So how can teaching debate impact our kids and our future? You know, well, debate does a lot of things, one of which is is teaching logic and being able to identify logical fallacies. Even if you can't name them, you learn to identify them because you're looking for a weakness in the argument. So it's it's teaching sort of some of the cognitive abilities, but it's also, you know, what we call simulation where um, there's, you know, the outcome of the debate does not actually affect anything in real life. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think it's a safe, safe yet scary place, right? Um, it's not like they have to go to a, you know, town council and express this opinion. You know what I'm saying? They're in an environment where it's expected they're gonna take that position and I think we are, um, you know, more, more capable when we can take either side of a, of a question, right? Either side of an issue, because it makes us think about our own position, right? Mm -hmm. If you are, let's say, placed on the opposite side of what you actually think or believe or feel, um, then you have to dig a little deeper to find arguments that are logical right and then you sometimes also develop i'm just going to say some empathy for that point of view that you wouldn't if you just stayed in your own little you know in transient position you know yeah oh yeah no i i know in the leadership education mentoring institute classes um projects for for kids that i've taught there are a lot of debates built into them and i purposely you know a strong student i will purposely put them on the other side of what they believe yeah you want you want them to have that experience a couple times yeah, yeah. and it's it's been really impactful for those kids because they have to it's hard it's really hard um but they end up appreciating it <laughs> right because they, they grow you know they feel the actual growth that happens i call those crucible experiences because they're crushed a little bit and they come out stronger it's sort of anti-fragile thing yeah if you don't if you don't test your metal then your metal just gets weaker pretty soon you're living in a bubble wrapped world you know where you can't yeah even hear something that you disagree with. So love debate. Yeah. Well, one of the things that I love about what you do is I had a kid who loved debate <laughs> and he went and um, I don't know if you remember this, but you, you came up to my house to give one of your presentations and um, I had my three older boys signed up for it. And my fourth son was too young but I asked if I could throw him in there and you said, oh yeah, let's do it. And he ended up being one of the best kids, you know, the, the most vocal um, debate was definitely his thing. Yeah. And it helped me as a mom. I mean, here I, I had a kid and he was my challenging kid because he would, he was constantly fighting with his, his brothers and debating them and wanting to debate. And I didn't realize until he was in your workshop that that was a genius of his. Right. 
you saw it, you probably saw it as just being contrary or just being difficult, yeah. right? Yeah. I know his brother saw it as that. <laughs> but it really opened my eyes that these kids who, you know, maybe are being challenging for our parents, that might be a gift that we can give them is kind of funnel that gift into a positive thing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. One of the, in those, in those seminars that I do, one of the things that I'm really working hard to do is inspire the adults in that community to make, you know, speech and debate part of the culture in their homes and in their communities, because we have kind of an obligation to find, you know, to make them all competent. I'm going to say that, um, but to find those ones that really do have a passion for it. And, and it's, it's, I'm going to say a weakness of homeschooling is, you know, when you're just in your home, if you don't have a, a community going, when you're just in your own home, it's a little harder to make formal public speaking, you know, a thing like you can do certain things and you can work on developing the skills, but I think it's really useful to have, you know, the, the adults creating, you know, a speech club or a speech class so that they can grow into, you know, their, their best communicator selves. Yeah. I am definitely going to be putting all of your contact information um, with in the show notes, but do you have, if, if we have a child who is loves debate, who loves public speaking, are there any venues? I mean, especially for like teenagers, older kids, are there any venues that you could suggest that um, for us to look for opportunities? Um the the toastmasters organization sometimes have like junior toastmasters i think is what they call it for teens um those are probably a little harder to find than a like an adult toastmaster group um so there's that but what i did with my own homeschooled kids is you know the ones who who were willing to i guess i should say I put them into speech contests that are sponsored by the various service organizations. So, you know, the Optimist Club has an annual speech contest, the Lions Club, the Rotary Club, um, AAUW, uh, the National Management Association. Those are the ones that, oh, the daughter, uh, the Sons of the American Revolution. I think the Daughters of the American Revolution has um, essay contests and some of these other ones have essay contests as well. But anyway, those are fantastic because first of all, not that many people participate in them, which is sort of tragic because there's almost always either a cash prize or a, or a scholarship. Oh, wow. So that's motivating, right? <laughs> and the topics are usually something that like you can sink your teeth into, you know? So anyway, one of my daughters won like $6,000 in cash and scholarships. Wow. So, I mean, that's not chump change, you know, it's yeah. Um, and then if you're really, really good, there's, you know, tens of thousands of dollars. So. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. 
Thanks for sharing those. I'll, I'll be sharing like some of those up and add some yeah, most, to that too. Most kids are, you know, I'm going to say that like, I, I struggle to get teens to participate in those, you know? Uh-huh. So I, I, I don't think it's the answer. I think the answer is to create, you know, once a month speech club or whatever, like a class where they, you know, and obviously in my seminar, I have resources for, for starting one of those, but, um, but it's, it's the regular getting up in front of an audience that is going to make them comfortable. That's going to help them find their strengths. And then of course, great coaching, you know, yeah. I'm trying to teach coaching. I want everybody to be a speech coach, you know, um, because they're, um, you know, I can teach you ways in which to deal with the, the various, you know, distractions that people have when they're speaking or the struggles that they have in, in preparation of their speeches and that kind of thing. Yeah. Oh, well, that's awesome. Well, Kathy, thank you so much for being here today. I really appreciate you sharing your genius with us uh-huh. and come on. And, and I always love having conversations with you. Thanks. Thanks so much for tuning into another episode of the Realizing Genius podcast. Head over to realizinggenius.com forward slash podcast for all the show notes and links and to share your ideas of anyone you would like to have me interview. Have a wonderful week realizing your genius.